just felt like the Lord touched you today. Amen. Just felt like the Lord just touched you and just kind of was breathing on us today. I, uh, if we could go ahead and put our PowerPoint up there. I got a, a little PowerPoint this morning. I wanted to really also just encourage you. I, I wanted to say to our particular home meeting, our life group, we're going to be meeting for the first time. I feel kind of sad. We haven't met in a couple months, but Carol and I will be meeting with our life group as well. And if you're not part of a life group, boy, we really encourage you to plug in. In fact, you know, that's really the lifeblood of the church, not just the corporate gathering on a Sunday, but really the thing that really makes your Christian walk rewarding is as you come to know other believers. In fact, that's as we share and give and live in, in accordance to the Word and opening our lives, that's really where the power of the Christian life is experienced. I, I really pray that you can come out to one of those life groups if, if you can, because you just experience the... By the way, you experience some great food and awesome people. Amen. We've got some great people here at New Life Fellowship. How many of you know we're coming into our summertime? And uh, if you haven't already known, how many of you got a vacation planned this summer? Anybody going to go on vacation here? How many just got back from vacation? Anybody had some vacation time? Well, that's good. Well, it's important that you get refreshed. It's important that you are rested. Uh, I think summertime is an awesome time for people to get together. It's for family. Uh, It's good to take a trip. It's good to get out of town once in a while. It's good to just kind of get rejuvenated, get your batteries charged. Amen? Amen? And I pray that you experience that same thing here in the house of the Lord. When you come to New Life Fellowship, I I want you to know God's intent here is for you to get your batteries charged. Amen. You you need to leave here stronger, better, wiser, more equipped, empowered than when you came in. That's our plan. Our desire is for you to leave here, amen, with the honor and the power and the presence of Jesus on your life. Amen. Amen. And uh, we just, we also, I want you to pray about some things. I know before we start our fall ministry, uh, we, need some, we need some prayer in areas of our children's ministry. We really need people to pray about assisting us in the area of children's ministry and those areas we, we could really use your help in prayer. And if the Lord's put something on your heart, you've worked in youth ministry before, we could really use your assistance. So we'd like you to pray about that. Amen? So I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to turn into the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Father, we thank you for what you've said today already. Lord, you're opening our hearts, and you're touching our lives with your presence, and Lord, you're just enlarging and empowering us in ways that we've never even understood or comprehended. And we give you praise, and everyone said... Amen. I want you to look up on the platform here, and let's look at this scripture. If we could turn and let, let's, let's, well, let's, okay, where are we at? <laughs> uh, let's, let's read this scripture here. I, therefore, read it with me, would you? I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Can you say amen? Amen. My Bible says also that as He is, so are we in the earth. Do you know that when you were not only saved, but baptized in the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rested upon Jesus rests upon you. You have the same Spirit of Christ. That means that you walk in the same wisdom, the same power, you have the same ability. In fact, even Jesus in John 14, or John 12 said, that you and I would actually do greater works than He did. 
Jesus said that he had to leave so that the Comforter would come. In other words, miracles and your life being an effective in this world is to be a normal way of living. Jesus said in Matthew 10, He said He called His own disciples together, and He said He gave them power over unclean spirits, to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And He said He gave them this power, and He said to go and do likewise. He said, go into all the world. And one of the things that I think has been a real crutch for much of our theology in many churches, is especially people that really are preaching the rapture, is we, we, we preach the rapture and God get us out of this horrible world and Lord get us into heaven. Amen. We got quartets that are singing on TBN and everybody talking about when the, in the sweet old by and by when we meet on that beautiful shore someday over the hilltop. You know. And that I, I hate to tell you, but that's not necessarily good theology. And uh, God's not interested in getting us out of this world right away. He's actually not coming back until He comes back with a church without spot or wrinkle. And He's not coming back for a weak, miserable church that's just kind of hanging on until Jesus gets back. No, He's not coming back for a church like that. He's coming back for a triumphant, victorious church that is going to reflect His glory in the earth. That's what He's coming back. He's coming back for a bride that is going to be strong, capable. They're not cowardly. They're not weak. They're not running for the caves and running everywhere uh, waiting for Jesus to come back. That's not the church He's coming back. I know that's our theology. We grew, I remember growing up with a theology like that. And that's not, that's not necessarily a Bible theology. Well, Panther, there's people preaching that. I know it. We give them grace to be wrong. Amen. But, but it's not Bible. God wants you to understand that when you were raised together in Jesus. When the Bible says that you who were dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible says you were blinded by the God of this world. You were led by evil. The Bible says spirits of wickedness and principality. That's what the Bible says. For people who do not know Jesus, it says they're blinded by the God of the age. And they are led by the, desire, the deceptive lust in the desires of their flesh in whom the prince of the power of the age rules their mind. Now they may think, the world may think I'm in control. But they really don't realize, number one, they're blind. The Bible says they're in gross darkness. To be in darkness in such a way that they actually think they're alive and they actually think they can see. And one of the ways you can know you're in darkness or not is when you believe that you can live life apart from God. When you think, another way a person can know they're in darkness is when you begin to see the truth that is in Jesus and you see it as a threat in your life. You know you're deceived then. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians. Because the title of what my message is, is Walking in the Empowerment of Honor. We've been on a series on honor. And not only is Jesus wanting us to have within us the abundant life, and He wants us, His Spirit, to be the greater portion of our life where we're, we're led by the Spirit, and our minds are influenced by the power of the, the spoken and the living Word. He wants that Word to become alive and living in your daily life. He wants the promises of God to become so alive and so real. I've I got to tell you something that happened last night. I had a, uh, in fact, I was telling my family uh, before we practiced this morning, uh, 
uh, before we were practicing and singing uh, this morning, before we came to church and we were in prayer, and I, I told my wife and my sons of a dream I had last night. Now, I, I'm not one who stakes a lot on dreams and visions. I believe in visions. The Bible says that in the last days your old men will have dreams, your young men will have visions. I, I believe in those things. But I am not one who takes a vision in a dream and just run with it. There's a lot of people that they get a dream and, oh, i got a dream, and they run. And, they, and that's not a wise thing to do. The Bible says out of the mouth of two or three, let every word be established. But, but I had a dream last night, and it was an amazing dream. And uh, I, I, the Lord showed me in this church, I, I was actually going around and giving prophetic words over people, over some of you. Some of you, so in fact, in my dream, I, I was prophesying over people I don't even see here in this church. But, but I remember as I went and I was prophesying over them, I remember specifically one man I prophesied, as I prophesied over him, he turned into a tree. And all of a sudden, out of his ears, nose, and mouth came fruit. Just, he just branches just as I was prophesying a word. He turns into a tree. And then I prophesied, I went over another woman, and this woman turned into this, like a huge rose bush. She, she's just turned into this rose bush. And I, in my dream, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm prophesying, people are turning into bushes and trees. And, uh, and, then, and then there was another one where I, I remember vividly this individual turned into this huge, massive, colorful. In fact, I usually don't dream in color, but I saw color on an individual, this just rainbow of colors as I was prophesying. And I really didn't take it to heart. You know, I thought it was a dream. In fact, and then there were, the last one is I would prophesy over some and nothing would happen. I thought it was interesting. Nothing at all would happen. And uh, as I woke up this morning, and I, I, like again, you know, I'm, I, I don't build my life around something like this unless the Lord confirms it. In other, in other ways, because that's the way the Bible teaches us. But, but uh, I came to the church here, and David uh, picked up on this, and he says, Dad, do you, man, God's trying to tell you something, Dad, through this. And, uh, and I, I never, never took it to heart that way. I just thought I had a weird dream, to tell you the truth. Because uh, how many of you know you don't see people turn into trees and bushes and weird creatures and colorful creatures? But, but I, I begin to think about it as we were praying about this, is that there's power in the spoken word. You know, Isaiah 61 says that those who are called out of Zion shall be like trees planted by the rivers of water. Rivers, trees planted, trees that bear fruit. And what I'm saying to you this morning, folks, is that God is coming to bring a creative word into this congregation. He wants to create a vision. He wants to create a reality in your life that right now may not exist. And so one of the things that, that, that takes place is as we begin to, to hear the word of the Lord, we need to be receptive with a spirit of faith and we need to begin to stand on God's promises and we need to begin to call out those things that are not as though they are. Now, one of the things that I, I want you to notice something here when it comes to becoming vessels of honor. Because, you know, we live in a world today that is angry. We live in an angry world. We live in a world that's divided People that are angry, they're angry at Obama, we're angry at our mother and our father and our brothers and our sister, we're angry at the church, we're angry at the police, we're angry at the school, we're angry with the neighbor and the dog, and we're just, I mean, I, in fact, I was reading about 77% of people in America are angry, just mad. You would think in a nation that has so much, we're just downright, we're, we're a ticking time bomb 
And if you dare cross my land, I'll let you know about it. We, we just got a really fragile society. And we, we've got people that are not drawing from the life of God. And I'm not talking about just Joe Sixpack out there that doesn't know Jesus. I'm talking about people in the church. They don't know God. They're not allowing the power in the life of the Spirit of God to rule in their life. And they're, 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 being, they're, they're allowing their senses to govern them. I, I remember uh, my own mother, uh, I love her to death, but my mom will call me up every so often and say, Ray, you need to turn on Fox News right now and you need to see what's going on in the world. And I said, Mom, what's going on in the world? She said, have you learned? You need to turn on Fox News. You need to say what's going on. I said, Mom, what's going on? Just tell me what's going on. So she'll tell me. She said, you need to, you need to know. And I, I, I remember telling her, I love my mom, by the way, folks. I really love But I remember telling my mom, I said, Mom, it might be good for you not to turn on Fox News. It, it might just be good for you just to stop listening to all the trash. In fact, Mom, let me tell you this. That's what I told her. I said, do, do you want to, let me tell you what the future news is, because the Bible already says it in Isaiah 60. It says, to arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord. But he says, in the last days, gross darkness will cover the face of the earth. Mom, let me tell you something. It's going to get worse. I mean, I don't know of any way to get more depressed than sit there and watching the news and digesting the junk. I, I, you know, we already know there's corruption in politics. Corruption in the IRS, there's corruption everywhere. You can watch the news and you can really get depressed by that stuff. But folks, we need to learn to shut the news off and we need to learn to turn our eyes on Jesus. We need to look full into His wonderful face. You know, we need to keep our eyes on Him. We need to trust in Him. Do you believe that today? We really do. We, we really need to learn to shut out the world. Well, yeah, but pastor, we need to know. No, you don't need to know all that. What you need to know is He's in charge and He promises to be faithful to complete what He has begun in my life from beginning to end. When the Bible says He's the Alpha and Omega, what that means is, is He started me out in this path. He's promised to bring me through the fire and through the flood and bring me out on the other end and He's going to bring us out gloriously, triumphant, and He's made us more than conquerors. And it doesn't matter what the news is, where the stock market is, it doesn't matter what Obamacare takes out of your wallet, God is still in charge. And God is going to preserve His people. I'm not saying that we just put our heads in the sand and that we don't have to vote. I know there's Christian movements around that. We don't have to pray. We don't have to vote. You know, no, no, no. I'm not going that extreme either. We do need to pray. We need to vote. And I do believe there is, there's a place in, in, in having understanding, as the men of Issachar having understanding of the times, knowing what Israel ought to do. Yeah, we need to be men of wisdom and women of wisdom and understanding. But we don't need to sit there and let our minds get so saturated with things of the world where we just let our peace go. We lose our peace. You just need to get into prayer and you need to seek the face of the Lord. The Apostle Paul, I love what he says here, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. How many of you feel like you're a prisoner of the Lord? Well, not very many hands, hands are on that one. You know, the, the concept of being a prisoner does not denote a positive thing. To be a prisoner, a prisoner is a person who's been arrested. A prisoner is a person whose rights have been taken. A prisoner is a person who's been captured and been taken into custody. When the Apostle Paul uses the term prisoner, in fact, it's not the only time, in chapter 3 of verse 1, he uses the same term. I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. He's talking here about our walk. 
And there are two things he says. He says, we are to walk worthy of the calling wherewith we are called. God has called you. Everyone say called. called. Now your calling is not just some kind of a relationship that he intends for it to be some kind of a Sunday thing. Your calling is not just some kind of a little ministry at the church at some particular address in a church building. No, God's calling on your life involved three things, and I want you to write this down if you have pen and paper. Your calling involves an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father as sons and daughters. He's not given us the spirit of fear unto bondage, but He's given us the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The calling involves a call to sonship. And when He's called us into sonship, that means His desire for you is to have you part of a family. Do you know our Heavenly Father wants a family? He's a, he's a family God. And He calls you into sonship. And when He calls you sons and daughters by way of blood, that means you have a DNA in you that you have the power, you have the ability to reflect the very glory that your Father has. You reflect the very image of the glory of your Father. That means you can love. You can envision, you can empower others. That means that you have the power to come into any situation and bring a level of faith and a level of hope and a level of power into any atmosphere. Because that's what our God does. God creates things out of nothing. And He calls you sons and daughters. He's first of all called you into His family. The second thing he's called us. The Apostle Paul refers to it as a high calling. Everyone say high calling. high calling. Worthy of the calling. A high calling. He's called you, Revelations 1, verse 5 and 6. He's called you as kings. Now how many kings do we have here? When he says... The blood of Jesus, which has washed us from all unrighteousness and hath made unto himself kings. That's not the only thing, but I want to talk about kings. What does a king do? A king rules. A king has a level of authority. A king rules over his subjects, over his dominion. God has called you kings. Not only do kings rule and do they have authority, but kings have kingdoms. God intends for you to reign in life over the affairs of your life. He has called you and He's given you authority to king, as a king. Not only do kings rule, but kings prosper. God intends for you to live and think, like a king. You're not a slave. You're not a bum. You're a king. And he wants you to understand. Now, most of us, when we think of kings, and when Jesus came, Jesus came, and he contrasted himself as a different kind of king than a worldly king. Most kings are very selfish. Most kings are very uh, separated. They're separated and unattached, and, and they're, not, uh, they're not connected with the subjects of their kingdom. Most kings in our world and most kingdoms of kings that you can think of, many of them are detached to the affairs and the issues and the concerns of the people that, that uh, they serve over. Most kings usually send their people into battle to die for them. But in this kingdom, our king went into battle for us. In this kingdom, we have a king who laid down his life for his people, wherein the world, it's the people who lay down their life for the king. Jesus has called us to be kings. He's called us to prosper. He has called us to live in royalty. He wants you to understand 
that in royalty and in that prosperity and in that power, you are to live honorably. You're to live with honor. You are to recognize that you are in an atmosphere of power, of dominion, of wealth, and honor and prosperity. He wants you to think like that. Remember several years ago, my wife and I, uh, we've had several young people that have come and we've invited them to live in our homes. I remember several years ago, my wife and I, we had the fortunate, great blessing to have a young man by the name of Nick Tolliver. I've told you of the story. Uh, he was a young man who was actually sleeping for three months in our courtyard under cardboard out here in the courtyard in the back. In one December morning, I had the double doors back here by the men's restroom. For some reason, the double doors weren't locked. And he made his way and went right into my office and went to sleep on my couch in my office. And I always come on Sunday morning at 6 o'clock for prayer, go over my notes, pray, things like that. And I'm coming in and whistling and just walking down the hall. I turn on my lights and there lay Nick Tolliver, a huge, big, black a young man, big, tall, but huge guy, laying there on my couch. I scared him, and he scared me. And we were scared of each other, and uh, I mean, I, I literally froze, and I remember running to the telephone. I'm going to call 911, and I'm going to get this bomb out of my office. That's what I thought. How dare him come in. And as soon as I begin to pick up the phone, the Holy Spirit, I mean, just screamed at me. Stop, Ray! Stop! I didn't hear an audible voice, but I never felt such a piercing sense in my spirit to stop. And the Lord just said, this is why you're here, Ray. It's not about preaching sermons, not about leading life group. This is why you're here. And I turned and looked at that, that little young, he wasn't little, he's was a big young man, young boy, six, eight, 17, 18 years of age at the time. He was there, and he, he had his first good night's sleep on my couch. And uh, I said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, the door was open, and I, I, I was cold, and I wanted to come in from the outside. I said, where, where, where's your home? He says, my home is in Oak Cliff. And I said, he says, and he was apologized. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor. I didn't mean, I haven't taken anything. Please forgive me. I, I just wanted a place to sleep. I, I just, I've been cold for days. And I said, where have you been living? He says, well, you see, and he took me out here. We had cardboards because we had, we were doing, uh, during that time, we had done a, we used to do these October Halloween things over in our fellowship hall. And we had all this, actually a lot of debris back here from that time. He had made himself a little shelter and was sleeping under some wood in cardboard through October, November, and December. And when he came in to my office and found his way into my, my office there on the couch, and I couldn't believe he was there and the Holy Spirit said, Ray, this is, this is why I called you here. I called you to reach the, the broken and the homeless called you to reach out. I've called you to be hands. My hands. I've called you to be my feet. I've called you to show mercy to those who have no home. And I, I said, well, wh where's your home at? Why aren't you home? He says, well, my mother kicked me out of my house. And I said, what do you mean she kicked you out? She said, she kicked me out. He'd been living on the streets for a couple of years, by the way, by that time. He'd been living here for three months. But he'd been living from house to house. And I said, why, why did your mom kick you out? He says, my mother kicked me out because I kept asking my mother for my father's telephone because I wanted to get in touch with my dad and she would never let me know where my dad was. And so she kicked me out and I never went back home. All because I just wanted to talk. Boy, that, that hit me. That here was a mother who would not let her son see her father. And he was kicked out on the street. Well, our church, we embraced him. We came into our church. But I remember when Nick 
came into our home. Carol and I had prayed, and the Lord began to actually spoke to my wife first. And uh, we decided to bring him into our house, and he stayed with us about a year, I think it was. But when he came into our house, I want to tell you, even though he was in our house, there were some things that we recognized off the bat. Even though he was living in a, in a clean bed, we gave him a bedroom and a clean bed, and he had all the food he had access to, but the, there were some things. I remember one day coming into my kitchen, and he was rummaging through my garbage can. I said, Nick, what are you doing in the garbage can? Well, I'm just trying to p- pick some stuff that you guys threw away. I said, Nick, you don't have to use the... You don't have to dig out of the garbage can anymore. What's in the garbage to stay? You don't have... He'd been so used to eating out of the garbage can that even when he was living in a decent house, how many of you know that when God begins to bring us from the level of slaves and from the level of where we've been into a place, into the palace, into a place where God begins to bring promotion and blessing, how many of you know we need to start making some paradigm shifts in our thinking? I mean, there was, you know another thing? I'll never forget one time we were feeding him, and he didn't use utensils. He used his fingers to feed himself. We said, Nick, use the fork. The fork. I mean, he just used to taking food out of the garbage and just put, putting it in his mouth. No one ever taught him simple things like that. He literally was living like an animal. Uh, hygiene, never, never brushed his teeth for who knows how long. Uh, my wife went out, bought him clothes. and I remember bringing him into the house. Just because you bring someone out of poverty doesn't mean you bring poverty out of them. And so part of the transformation involved the renewing of his mind. When the Apostle Paul talks about being a prisoner of the Lord and walking worthy of the calling. Paul was a man. Remember who Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he was driven by anger. He was a a man who thought he was doing the right thing by persecuting the church. He was a man who was driven by hatred and anger. He, He relished in the fact that he could... He could destroy Christians. But all of a sudden, the Lord comes, and what does God do? He takes the worst of the worst, and God reveals His love to the Apostle Paul to such a point that the Apostle Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. You know what the Lord did? He just baptized them with so much love that Paul could do nothing for himself about himself. God just baptized him with such love that it ruined Paul. How many of you have ever been ruined by love? Where you are so ruined by the love of God that you say, you know what, I'm a prisoner. I can't can't do anything, but I just want to share the love of God. I, I just want to let people know how great God's goodness is. And you know what I think is so interesting about the Holy Spirit? Is that God takes a man who in our day, do you know who Paul would be equivalent to our day? It would be an Al-Qaeda extremist. How many ever heard of Al-Qaeda in our day? These are people who think it's the right, they think they're doing God a service by killing us white devils here in America. And uh, they think they're doing God a, a favor. Well, Paul was that same kind of a guy. Driven by hate, ruthless, barbaric. But here Paul becomes a prisoner of the Lord and he says to these Christians here, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling wherewith you were called with all humility, gentleness, and long-suffering. Let me just tell you three things that I think is so important that, we, that God wants to do here in our when it, when it comes to walking, what it means to walk worthy. When it, when it means to walk worthy, number one, walking worthy means that we need to have a clear vision. We need to have a clear vision of what God has called us to. 
First of all, he's called us to be sons and daughters. Secondly, he's called us to be kings. And thirdly, he's called us to be priests. What does a priest do? A priest is a representative to the people on behalf of the Lord. Do you know that God has called you a holy priesthood? You represent the Lord to the people. All of us are priests. We may not look like Catholics, but that's not what we're called to be. You are a priest that you represent the Lord, and God has called you to intercede on behalf for the Lord, even to the people. God has called us that. He's called us to be priests, called us to be kings, and He's called us into a family, and then He says, I want you to walk worthy of this calling. But we need to have a clear vision. Amen? I want you to jump over with me in your Bibles for a minute to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 13. Notice what it says in John 13. Jesus is about ready to be crucified. And it says, verse 1, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were, who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. Everyone say he loved them. He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into heart the heart of Judas Iscariot, of Simeon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. In other words here, Jesus at this place in his life knew the why, the where, and the what. He knew why he had come. He knew why he had come from the Father. He knew where he was going. He knew where he'd come, where he was going. He was going back to the Father. And he knew what he had to do. And what he had to do was he had to die. Jesus knew specifically... But the Bible says in all of this that he loved his own unto the end. Aren't you thankful God loves you to the end? <laughs> By the way, do you know that that even included Judas? But Judas bailed out with suicide. Had he not committed suicide, there would have been hope for Judas. But he bailed out that way. And he's putting, still putting his trust in his own righteousness. But here it says... Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he had girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet. Jesus said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus said. If I do not wash you, you will have no part of me. Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Here we find what Jesus is saying is that Judas, from the beginning, had an intent to betray the Lord. The other disciples, they never be intended to deny or betray the Lord. They, in fact, they, they thought they could go all the way to the end. But Jesus here washes their feet, for he knew who would betray him. Verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said, do you, not, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and so you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Can you say amen? What does it mean to walk worthy? 
Well, to walk worthy of the Lord means to simply do what Jesus does. What was He doing here? This was the last physical illustration that Jesus would leave His disciples with. One of the things that Jesus came to preach in the message of the kingdom was He came to preach that we have a loving Father who really loves us, who really cares about us. But in the world that we live in, we live in a world that's crooked. We live in a world that's damaged. We live in a world where people, they lie, they hurt, they deceive us, they offend us. We live in a world where people betray us. They break trust. They don't keep their word. And yet in all of this, Jesus comes and in one of the most powerful ways to illustrate honor. The Son of God comes and He changes His garment. There were four levels of slaves in Judea's day and Jesus puts on a garment that represents the lowest of the lowest slave usually in a rich man's house. And that slave would usually wash the feet. But it was also the slave that there was no credible reference made to because when that lower slave would wash the feet, he would always know where that person had been and what they had walked through, but because they were considered not credible, they would be able to be entrusted with something, with something so that the credibility and the reputation of the person they were washing their feet wouldn't be spread to other people. So Jesus takes upon himself the lowest form of a servant, and all of a sudden these disciples are seeing Jesus do this. And it begins to impact their minds. Because in their minds, they wanted a superman messiah. They wanted a military political leader that would come and and transform uh, Israel and, and, and bring domination, political world power and domination over the Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps out of his, his posture and he takes upon himself a robe of a slave that everyone in that day, in that culture, knew. That the, that, that the part he's trying to play here is a person, not only are they the lowest of the low, but they have no credible reputation. All of a sudden, they become offended. Jesus, we don't want you to look low like that. We, we want you to be the superhuman person that you've always been because it's making us look good. Well, we want to we wanna associate with the, the big and the powerful. How many of you know today people love to be associated with the big and the powerful? I don't know about you. If anybody ever go to school, everybody loves to run around with the most popular kid. I wonder why. Because it makes them look good. Nobody wants to run around somebody that has no credible reputation. Here Jesus takes them on himself the form of a servant with a reputation that's not credible. Nobody associates, identifies with him. And Jesus said, this is what it is to be important in my kingdom. And when Jesus begins to wash the feet of his disciples, what he is saying to them is this. I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to restore. I'm willing to let you know that no matter what you've walked through, I'm willing to take my hands and remove it off your life. I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to set you free. I will not hold anything against you. I'm here to wash your feet. You know, all of us have walked through stuff. We've probably walked in places that we shouldn't even be. Some of us have walked through things. We've walked in things. And we would be very ashamed if people knew where we walked. 
But when Jesus washed their feet, he was saying, not only do I know what you've walked through, and I see what you've walked through, but I'm willing to restore and forgive you and wash you. And then he says, now you wash other people's feet. Guess what? We have no right to hold anything against anybody because Jesus has washed our feet. When Nick Tolliver was living in our house, he asked me one day, he says, Ray, why, Pastor Ray, why did you bring me into your house? He says, you know, Nick, I'm going to be honest with you. I was scared of you when you first came to our house because you're a big guy. And uh, you, I, we, we actually found out that Nick Tolliver was just a big teddy bear, but in the beginning he didn't look like, I mean, I, well, I didn't know what I was getting into. But the Lord knit our hearts together, and I said, you know, Nick, the only reason why I can forgive you is because of all the things God has forgiven me. The only reason I can wash and bless you is because God has really forgiven me of a lot. And he says, a really, a lot? Yeah, Nick, there's a lot of things in my life I'm ashamed of that Jesus washed my feet. He forgave my sin. I'm not washing your feet because I feel sorry for you. I'm washing your feet because he's washed my feet. And he's honored me by receiving me and restoring me. And because of his love for me, I want to love you. And it's really not my love, it's Christ's love in me to help me love you. Because I tell you, Nick, there's not a bone in my body that wants to take some guy off the streets and bring him into my... There's there really no natural love there, just to be honest with you. But it's only because of God's great love. And I told Nick about a story where this woman who came into the house of Simeon one day and she was not even embarrassed... She fell at the feet of Jesus in the house of this Pharisee, and the Bible says she took an alabaster box and broke it, and the aroma filled the room, and she lavishly, extravagantly just anointed the head and the feet of Jesus and washed the feet with her tears. And Simon, Jesus said to Simon, he said, you see this woman? He says, when I came into your house, Simon, you didn't even wash my feet. You didn't anoint my hands or my head. But ever since I've been here, this woman hasn't stopped washing and hasn't stopped anointing me. And she's been a blessing to me. And then Jesus tells a story about a person who owed much debt and one who owed little debt. And Jesus asked the question, who do you think forgave the most? The one who was loved much. And Jesus said, for though this woman's sins are great and are many, the Bible says, Jesus said that she loves much because she has been forgiven much. But to those who love little, they have been forgiven little. And you know, that's what Jesus is saying to us today. When Paul says... We're to walk worthy of the calling. You know what he's doing? He is directing our attention towards the way we treat other people. I want to ask you this morning, because it's not the church we build. It's, it's not all the nice talent you might have. It may not be all the money you give into charity. But Jesus is asking you, how do you treat people? How do you treat people? Are you washing their feet? That's the highest honor that we can live in and walk in is the way we treat one another. Jesus said it right here. I want to just close with this. I want to just go through this. I want to show you something. Actually, let me just, in fact, I, I, want, I want to just close right now. I just, my time's really gone. Let, let me just, let's just close. Let's, I'm going to finish this next week. I don't want to get into this. I, I really believe the Holy Spirit has been saying that he's 
wanting us to come to an understanding of what it is to live and abide in an atmosphere of honor. And I think one of the things the Lord has been laying on my heart is that is he wants us to recognize the value and the treasure that, it, that he has first of all placed in us. But then secondly, I believe the Lord this morning, he wants to wash our feet. Some of us this morning, we may be stained and we may feel a sense of guilt or, or something else. The Lord wants you to know that he's here to wash you. He's already washed you actually. But we need continual washings. And it's only out of you have it's only as you have received grace can you in turn give grace. If I have not received grace, then grace is not going to really be flowing. What does it mean to walk worthy of the calling? What has he called us to? He's called us to love him and then to love one another. And he says, with all lowliness, that's humility, gentleness, long-suffering, that's patience, bearing with one another in love. Have you, ever, have you ever been patient with somebody? Really patient with them? Maybe they just kind of rub you wrong. and Maybe they've taken advantage of you. Maybe they've backstabbed you. We all know what that's about. Jesus said, we're to love one another. Let me tell you something about love. Love is not a feeling. Love is an act. Love is a decision. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice. When you begin to love, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and you walk in that spirit of love, you begin to, to walk in the power, and that power flows through you to others. It's no longer you, but Christ in you. Your head's bowed. Maybe you say, Pastor Ray, I need, I need to be washed today. There's been defilement. There's been areas in my life that I've held on to. There's been anger. There's been bitterness. And I know that the Lord wants to bring me into a level of what it is to have freedom and peace in my life. And I've, I've held on to bitterness. I've held on to things because others have offended me. I need to be washed. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Anyone else? I need to be washed. I've been hurt. I've been scarred. I've been defiled by things that people said. I know what that's like. Even recently, I had to ask the Lord to wash me because I'd been defiled by what somebody said. It, it hurt. And I had to forgive and I had to let it go. And the Lord said, I want you to wash their feet now. I want you to wash them. There's nothing that will hinder your peace more than holding on to resentment or bitterness. Nothing will hinder the presence and the blessing of God more than holding on to hatred or anger. We've got to let it go. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we? I feel the Holy Spirit wants to baptize us all with agape love. I want you to take, let's, let's all take each other by the hand. Let's hold hands as a church family. And I'm going to just pray that the Lord, the Bible says there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope. Of, of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. The reason why he says one is because he's trying to let you know that you cannot fabricate and make up your own God. 
You can't all of a sudden say, well, I'm going to leave this church and go to another church. No, there's only one body, one God, one Father of us all. How many of you know you can't leave your problems and go somewhere else? The Bible says there's only one body. You can't run. One Father, one God, one Lord of all, one baptism, one faith, who is above all. And by the way, He'll never be in you all or through you all until He's first above you all. So I'm going to pray this morning. I'm going to ask the Lord to baptize us with fresh fire and a fresh love from above to give us the grace to wash and to empower and see the best in others. Father, we pray today as a body, as brothers and sisters, Lord, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that's been damaged by sin, scarred by sin. But Lord, You came to break the curse of sin and to restore to us, Lord, whole lives. Our lives back into wholeness. No longer are we victims of the past or victims of abuse of others. But Lord, You've come to restore us. To heal us so that we can in turn be able to empower and to wash others. And to see their lives set free because of Jesus and what He's done. Father, we ask You, Lord, to plant in our hearts that love, O oh God, that loves You more than life. Lord, I ask You, Lord, that You would tear down walls between family members, between church members. Tear down any walls of, of, of hurt. Walls of fear. We come against the walls of prejudice or pride. Any other forms. Political walls. Gender walls. Sexist walls. Religious walls. Father, we pray that You would come and tear down these walls. And Lord, give us the ability to see people and to walk worthy of the calling. It's a call to love. It's a call to empower others. It's a call to see the goodness of God in others. Lord, we know that Your kingdom is a kingdom of love and life. It's a, it's a kingdom where kings and priests rule. and It's a kingdom where sons and daughters reflect the glory of their Heavenly Father. Father, we pray, Lord, that our Christianity would be put to use. That we would walk in the very nature and the very likeness of the God we serve. We ask You, Lord, to break down resentment, bitterness, and anger, and hatred. Lord, we ask You, Lord, that we would not punish others with silence. We would not treat others, Lord, as the world treats others others, but Lord, we would come to a higher level of understanding that we're children of light, children of the kingdom. We're children that reflect the beauty and the glory of a God who washed our feet and loved us abundantly, and that we in turn can love, and we can reach out and restore, and we can believe God and believe in them that You can turn their captivity. You can change their lives. and Lord, You can restore that which the enemy has come to destroy. Father, we love You today. We give You praise. We ask You, Lord, to baptize us today with fresh love. Fresh love from the throne. Help us to honor and respect each other. Lord, forgive us, Lord, for being too small-minded. For we've made You too small in our sight. We've made You too small, God. Lord, we've limited You because of our own unbelief. Forgive us, Lord. Father, we thank You for Your love today. I pray, Lord, that we would all bear good fruit. Help us to abide in the vine. To bear good fruit in the days of men. And everyone said, Amen. I want you to turn and give someone a hug.